Welcome to Two SoCal Gals. I'm Alicia Rodriguez. Are you enjoying the soccer over in Europe this MLS offseason, Josie? I'm Josie Becker, and I tell you, every time I find a good, clean club to support, things tend to get a little messy. Oh, I see what you <laughs> did there. Yeah, so this is Two SoCal Gals, and we begin this morning by picking up a debate that began at the MLS Super Draft. Uh, Simon Borg came on the broadcast, and he proceeded to go toe-to-toe with Lexi Lawless on Chivas USA and Freddie Adu. We'll start with Chivas. Why do they get so much guff for wanting to target Mexican-Americans when Tijuana Zolos uh, just won a championship doing the same thing? Yeah, this is an interesting question. Um, you know, I think it's a little hard to get to the, the bottom of it, but obviously as somebody who, who follows this team very closely, it's, it's something I think about quite a bit. Um, you know, I think first the caveat to all this is I think that in, in many respects, Chivas USA has long inspired disdain around the league. Um, I think some of it's warranted, certainly, and some of it isn't. Um, you know, so that sort of casts whatever they do in a, in a bad light to begin with uh, right away anyway. But um, besides that, I think, you know, there's a pretty valid point to be made that uh, many Americans of all different uh, backgrounds are finding a policy where a team is actively seeking one ethnic group to be, you know, take your pick, tasteless, illegal, potentially uh, racist, you know, so that's obviously raised the hackles of a lot of people. And I think that that's not uh, without, um, you know, know, that's not unwarranted. But what do you think about this? You know, what got me thinking, I was reading a a great article this morning uh, on the Zolos Championship, And it really painted Tijuana as sort of this border space where, you know, there's, you know, being in Tijuana versus being in San Diego, like, you just, that that border is constantly crossed. And so when Zolos went out and kind of reached out to Mexican-Americans who probably didn't feel super comfortable deep into Mexico, but at the same time, uh, were having trouble getting on in in MLS and finding opportunities uh, in America. Uh, so they saw they saw a need that wasn't being fulfilled, and they exploited it and, and won a championship. And so I started I started thinking of Chivas's Mexican American only or you know, focused announcement, um, which hasn't really been like a formal like they had a press conference and waved flags and stuff. It's just been right. more of um, the word lately. And you know, seeing that as them trying to give Mexican Americans a home who don't you know, who feel like they have to go to Tijuana in order to play soccer. I, I can respect that. Um, but I mean, am I am I reading this right? Yeah, I mean I think that's a really measured way of putting it and and certainly I think that that gives the benefit of the doubt to what they're trying to do and I think in a lot of respects that is also a fair assessment potentially. I think the big thing and you know you sort of allude to it is that we're not entirely sure what's going to happen here with with Chivas USA and so Right now we're in this realm of speculation, and I think that that's partly why attitudes have been really negative towards the team because, you know, their, their, their perception is just so bad right now that it's like, oh, man, I mean, they must be totally racist, you know? Like, I mean, how could they do this? And it's like, if you look at it from, you know, from the side that you're talking about, and if you think about, um, you know, the Caliphs, the you know players who often are overlooked or who are unable to afford academy soccer, 
um, you know, who, who end up having to go abroad and, and, you know, make their way, for example, often in Mexico, they're often Latino players who, who, you know, fall through the cracks of development. Um, you know, there seems to be some merit to, to maybe looking after some of these players, but we're going to have to obviously see how it unfolds. And I think that's something I've really been stressing to people in general is just, we just need to see how it unfolds. If it's, if it's really truly going to be a policy of exclusion, or if it's going to be one that's um, trying to find a niche and, and trying to make take advantage of it on a competitive level. And no one should be surprised that there is confusion in communication with Chivas. Like, that is nothing new uh, in the Chivas world. But at the same time, you can't just take all those previous examples and say, well, they'll, they'll never live up to anything that they set, they set out. Um, you know, I think that they want to instead of, you know, going out and drafting all these kind of random players, which is, you know, why is that the system that we have? You know, I just, I like it as a thinking outside of the box thing and seeing a need and I don't know, just let it play out. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's what we all need to do here. But, um, you know, like I said, I, I mentioned one of the knocks against MLS has been the historical lack of youth development. Uh, but MLS has taken a step forward towards improving uh, young adult development with the partnership with uh, USL Pro that was announced yesterday. Um, why do you think uh, most of, uh, it turns out 18 of the 19 clubs are participating, uh, most of the MLS uh, partnered up with a lower division league? Yeah, I think I'll let you uh, talk about the most of part. Uh, but I this is another case where... You, People, especially on Twitter, because uh, it's fun to do that on Twitter, people are jumping to all sorts of extremes, and this is going to kill the NASL, and it's, the league was calling it this revolutionary, groundbreaking thing, and it just stepped back a little tiny bit. Um, and just, But it is a good step forward in that you know, this is a league that had done away with the reserves a few years ago, um, and now not only has brought back the reserves, but has really made an effort to make the reserves uh, uh, competitive. Um, I think one of the knocks against the reserves right now is that it doesn't really prepare young players for MLS play because it's sort of the forgotten players. You know, they, oh, you didn't get picked, so we'll just throw you guys on this team, and you know, you don't really try it that hard. Um, but you know, it can be so much more, uh, and especially if we're going to start incorporating the USL, uh, I really am excited to see uh, if that steps up the level of play uh, at the reserve level. But w w what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously there's a lot of questions surrounding how this is going to shake out and, you know, how much it will actually impact development in the long run, but it seems like trying something is better than doing nothing. Um, I mean, I think one of the one of the other complaints about the reserve league of the last couple of years is that there's only been like 10 games. I mean, you can't really expect players to really get a ton of development if they're, you know, playing a handful of games over the course of a eight month season. Um, you know, so, so I think in a lot of respects, it, it sounds like a good plan. I think it also is maybe a good idea for the USL too to sort of in, increase their viability in the long run as well. Um, I, you know, I agree that those sort of revolutionary terms, you know, that the, the MLS is using is maybe a bit overstated, but 
certainly think it's a good idea. Um, and the one club that's not participating, surprisingly or perhaps quite unsurprisingly, is Chivas USA. I wrote something about it today. Um, there's no clear reason as to why they're not participating, and I, I've talked with a few people. Perhaps it's that the team decided to not participate uh, this year, and of course they can always come in later. Um, you know, this year they're sort of doing a uh, it, not improvised, but they're doing kind of not they're not implementing their full plan this this year because they're doing you know the season's coming up so quickly. Um, it could be that you know the numbers didn't shake out, and MLS asked for a team to sort of forego it this year which sounds like a strange policy, but I suppose it's plausible. Um, but that, to me, again, as somebody who follows the team pretty closely, is pretty worrisome that of the 19 clubs, they're the only one who is not participating in this uh, new initiative. Yeah, and at least as from what I've read so far, there are four clubs that have full-on partnerships where they'll uh, loan out at least four of their players. And for the rest of it, it's really just a home-and-home -home series with your local uh, USL Pro Club, uh, which, you know, for both the Galaxy and Chivas is the LA Blues. Um, and there is a team in, in Arizona. Chivas could have done a home-and-home -home with them. That's surely possible. Um, and But I guess it's surprising to me that Chivas have opted out um, just because it seems to be... Uh, a way to reduce the cost uh, yeah. of, of having reserve team. If you're loaning out players, if they are off the roster, if that money is off, well, the money will probably still be on the salary budget. But, you know, just it seems like it would take some of the burden off for some of the, uh, you know, teams that haven't had success recently um, to, to, to develop players and, and get back in the, in the swing of things. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. And I think, you know, again, that's why... You know, this is another wait-and-see approach as to the long-term impact of it, but it seems like a good idea. But, yeah, I mean, it seems strange. You know, as it's, you know there's, there's also been speculation that Chivas USA is going to send the reserves to Mexico to play reserve games, I suppose, in Guadalajara. But that seems, you know, if anything, that's going to be far more expensive and also kind of counterproductive since, you know, they're playing in MLS and not in, you know, the Liga MX or whatever. But, um but yeah, I mean, it, it, it can potentially be a really exciting story uh, for most of the league and, and you know, one that, that we're obviously going to keep tabs on in the long run. All right. Well, the other uh, big debate from the MLS draft uh, between Lawless and uh, what's-his-face uh, was on just what is to be done about Freddie Adu. Uh, he finds himself once again at, at a crossroads as he's leaving the Philadelphia Union. Uh do you buy the argument that he just needs to be given the keys, uh, or is he on the decline? Is he done? I, I wouldn't necessarily say either one. I mean, I certainly don't think he should be given control of a team and, and, and be the centerpiece for a team at this point. Um, you know, I think obviously the pressure has been hard for him to deal with, and, you know, that, you know, it can't be easy to be him, right? Like, I think at this point it seems pretty clear that his, you know, his career will never live up to, you know, what was once expected of him. And, you know, I think a lot of that's unfair to him, but uh, you know, there's obviously something with his ego that has gotten in the way of him developing as a player over the years. And he just can't seem to make it work with anybody anywhere in any country. Um, 
you know, so to me, I mean, it just seems crazy for a team to, to, you know, organize themselves completely around him because I just haven't seen any proof that he warrants that at this point. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's impossible to uh, understand the amount of pressure that is placed upon you when you're assigned at 14 years old, uh, which I still think was a publicity stunt. Uh, but that aside, uh, you know, he's given away. Let's, you know, that's a fancy way of saying traded, but he was given away before, you know, he was even old enough to drink a beer. Um, and then he's got, he's going overseas and, you know, he just never, I mean, obviously he's had plenty of chances, but I just don't think that he's ever been at the maturity level to really understand what even, what that means. I mean, he's only 23, um, you know, and as a 21-year-old, you know, back uh, two years ago, I remember in the hype for the Gold Cup, uh, one of the big things was this is going to be Freddie Adu's shot at redemption. He's 21 years old. How many 21-year-olds need to, to redeem themselves? Uh, and, and why? You know, Freddie Adu, if he were just some college prospect, would be like, oh, it's that kid with some talent and a kind of funny head. Maybe he'll work it out. You know, and who's to say Friday Adu won't explode at 25? You know, it's just. But. Yeah, I mean, I think with the, you know, I, I certainly don't think his career is over. Um, but, you know, he needs to limit his expectations. Like he cannot expect if he, if he were to stay in MLS, he can't expect to get paid anywhere near what he, you know, has been getting paid lately. Um and he needs to buy into a team. Like he can't just expect to to waltz on the scene and and you know everybody to love him and for him to become a superstar because he's tried that his whole career and it hasn't worked. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think it, it just comes down to immaturity, and that's you know that's really put a dent in his in his stock. And I mean, in some respects, it's really sad, but in other respects, it seems like he had the power to you know, to really do something with his career, and, and he seems to be blowing it in a lot of respects. All right, so after an entire off-season of speculation, Landon Donovan will return to the LA Galaxy in 2013. He missed the U.S. January camp, and uh, Jurgen Klinsmann appears to be getting frustrated with him. So just what is up with your boy Donovan? You know, he's kind of got the opposite problem of Adu, uh, or at least at a different stage in his life. You know, he was another person, uh, went to Florida quite young, uh, went overseas, had his burnout moment, um, was able to redeem himself uh, quite well in MLS, uh, but now he's you know, 30 years old and has been playing pretty much nonstop uh, for the last three years, and I just think he, he got kind of burned out. Um, which, you know, happens to, to, to everyone, you know, in it's, with MLS's schedule, usually the burnout's supposed to happen about, uh, summertime, you know, when you're doing MLS and, uh, summer tournaments, but obviously as an MLS player, going on those off-season loans, you kind of just kept that highly competitive, uh, uh, season going, and, you know, I get, can't exactly uh, blame him for being a little burnt out, but um, at a certain point, you kind of have to either get yourself together or start looking like a bit of a head case. Um, but, I mean, do you, do you buy that argument? 
Yeah, I, I certainly buy it. As somebody who's experienced it firsthand, uh, I you know I certainly sympathize with it. Although I know a lot of people have given them a lot of trouble for, um, you know, being a having the job of being a professional soccer player and complaining about it all the time. But um, I do wonder if he's switching to the phase in his career where he's going to continue to be a, a productive club player, but his time with the national team is running out. I mean, do you think that he's going to really be involved at any point this year? Do you think that, you know, eventually he'll come back around or do you think that Klinsman's probably going to steer away from him because he can't really depend on and Donovan to, to be in the right headspace to, to contribute? You know, it, it, it's not often that we see the player walking away from the national team. Usually, you know, it's a national team coach has to kind of say, you're too old, you're too old, go away. Um, so it's a little hard to say. I think come World Cup time, he's definitely going to want to be involved. You know, and that'll probably be his, his last World Cup. But then that means that he has to play uh, in the qualifiers. He can't just be out of the system for a year and expect to be able to pick it uh, right back up uh, when he decides that uh, he's ready for it. So, uh, you know, if I were him, I would just do one more World Cup cycle and then you can hang up the boots. I mean, he's been doing it uh, for for a, at least a decade now. So I, I can understand that it's not... Uh, as exciting as it once was, but it's still the World Cup is still putting on the U.S. jersey. I, I have to imagine it'll get him get him Jones up uh, when the time comes. Yeah, I mean, if that doesn't do it, nothing will, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right. So finally, uh, Eden Hazard was sent off in the Capital One Cup after kicking a ball that a 17-year-old ball boy had dived on. Did the punishment fit the crime? Uh, well, we'll have to see what the punishment ends up being. I mean, that, you know, the, the ultimate punishment, um, before I guess we can make a judgment, but, you know, I, to me, the standard policy is that you don't assault minors off the field of play, you know, and that's valid. You probably shouldn't kick at or kick out near somebody who's not a player and not on the field and not even an adult. Um... But I think it also must be said that the ball kids all over the world um, impede opponents by dawdling when they, you know, when the players ask for the ball. This ball boy took it to a complete extreme, um, but you know he's not entirely blameless. But you know, obviously, I don't think that you should kick <laughs> kick a kid or kick at near a kid to, you know, to 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 get him to give you the ball. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think if you're, you're typing up the team rules uh, about, like, number two should be don't kick children. You yeah, know, it's yeah. like a good rule. Um, but at the same time, you know, especially, like watching EPL this offseason, you know, they, they do the single ball format. And you see all the time the ball goes up in the stands and fans are kind of tossing it around or sort of lazily getting it back uh, to the opponents and sort of, you know, making themselves a part of the game. Uh, and you hear complaints even about the multi-ball games where you know, opponent, the away teams feel like the ball kids are super hurried to get the ball back to a home team, but uh, for the visitors, they're kind of a little more lackadaisical. Um, I'm not condoning kicking children. I just want to say that for the record, but uh, I can see uh, him getting frustrated and is trying to get the ball away from the kid, uh, especially it was only like 
10 minutes left until the end of the match and they were down two goals. Yeah, I was thinking um, after racism, homophobia, sexism, you know, problems of belligerent, belligerent nationalism, um, maybe FIFA should work to instill some basic standards in the ball kids. What do you think? You know, put it on the agenda. You know, yeah. I think you should, they should uh, take a look at it. Um, FIFA's got a lot on their plate. What was you know, ending racism and all? So that's a, that's a big task. For sure. All right. Well, uh, it's been a great show. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, you know, you can always find me uh, at Rock and Josie on Twitter. And Alicia, where can we find you? At Soccer Musings on Twitter. All right. Well, we'll see you all later. Bye, have a good week.